Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Shabbat shalom. I have to begin this Devar Torah by extending some credit for its inspiration to my dear friend, Jeff Early. Jeff graduated from seminary in May and is soon to be a fully ordained Presbyterian minister in South Carolina. When I talked to Rabbi Knopf about doing this Devar, I texted Jeff to tell him I was doing it, knowing he always appreciates such things. He asked which Parsha it was, and I explained it's actually not the next one chronologically. That would be Vizot HaBracha, which is the last Parsha, which we're going to do once in Torah. But a special reading dropped in from Holomoy Sukkot, what we just read, Exodus 33.12 through 34.26. Jeff asked what I thought I might talk about, and I said I wasn't sure. There's a lot here. It's right after the golden calf. Moses carves a second set of tablets and asks to see God's face. The Israelites are commanded to observe Passover and Sukkot, and more. I also mentioned we get the 13 attributes of mercy from this Parsha. And while I love that, it's been repeated a lot recently. You all know this, if you don't realize it. Adonai, Adonai, El Rafum, Bechanum. Sounds familiar? Okay, good, I can stop singing. That's the best part we <laughs> We repeat this 10 times on Yom Kippur alone. There was silence for a few minutes. Then Jeff sent me a chunk of text and said, I assume that's the 13 attributes of mercy. I read it and confirmed it was. Then he asked a question that sent me down a rabbit hole and led to this devar. How do you hold all that mercy together with the last bit? You may be, see, Rabbi Nuff already knows. You may be wondering what he meant. I sure was. See, here's what's in the Mahsor. God, God, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and faithfulness, extending kindness to the thousandth generation, bearing iniquity, transgression, and sin, and acquittal. But this isn't something the writers of the Mahsor just made up. It's in the Parsha, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 to be exact. And the writers left off the end of verse 7. What does that say? Yet God does not remit all punishment, but visits the iniquity of parents upon children and children's children up to the third and fourth generations. That's quite a turn. (laughs) I now understood Jeff's question and it became mine as well. How are these attributes of mercy when the end of the verse seems to be anything but merciful? So thanks, Jeff. You're always number one to me. And if you all find this Devar boring, send your complaints to him. (laughs) So I think the conflict in messaging here is pretty clear. After all, how can we say these attributes show God as merciful when the sentence ends with talk of punishment enduring for generations? A punishment that, to be clear, is for something those second, third, and fourth generations had nothing to do with. This also flies directly in the face of what we were told just a few weeks ago. In Parsha Kitetse, we read, Lo yumtu avot albanim, uvanim lo yumtu avot, ish becheto yumatu. Parents shall not be put to death for children, nor children be put to death for parents. They shall each be put to death only for their own crime. Everyone's responsible for what they do wrong. So how do we square this contradiction? Well, in my research, I found three main explanations. The first is one I'll admit I don't really care for. 
It says having the punishment spread out is justified because if God put all the punishment on the person who did wrong, it would simply obliterate them and their future generations would not exist. In other words, those future generations having a bit of punishment is a reasonable trade-off for being allowed to exist. This explanation makes me uncomfortable. It has more than a bit of an abusive undertone to it. I'm the reason you're in the world, so I can do what I want to you. Not at all merciful, doesn't sit right. Don't like that. The second one is intriguing, but not the strongest in my view. That explanation is simply that Moses got it wrong. That perhaps an intent was changed, or circumstances shifted, or something else, but the verse is not to be taken exactly as written. This may seem like some far-fetched thing that people just made up, but the Talmud actually tells us as much. Rabbi Yosef ben Chanina said, our master Moses pronounced four adverse sentences on Israel, but four prophets came and revoked them. Moses said, the Lord punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Ezekiel came and declared, the one who sins is the one who will die, chronologically after Moses. Sure enough, that's in the book of Ezekiel, which we actually just read from. Chapters 18, verses one through four. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean? What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer, no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. Hanefesh hachetot ki tamut. Again, the one who sins is the one who will die. I admit. I kind of like this explanation. It deals with the unpleasant in the verse handily. And the part of the Ezekiel that Talmudic rabbis refer to is pretty explicit in its intent. In the time of Ezekiel, God overrules what God had previously said to Moses. Not a problem anymore. Easy. Done. But I still find it unsatisfying. Okay, so the text in Ezekiel removes the blame to the future generations. But then why is the original text still there? It's part of the Torah, it must be there for a reason. If it's not this punishment, what is the reason? So we get to the third explanation, my favorite. You see, the generations of punishment are not set in stone. They are not immutable. The rabbis teach the punishments would only take place if the children continued the sins of their parents. That that threat of ongoing punishment was intended as a warning to adjust behavior and not make the mistakes your parents did. Listen to it, and you are a beneficiary of the mercy listed above. Ignore it, and yes, those punishments will be visited upon you. Rather than being a blind and unfair punishment from a capricious God, it's the consequences of people's own actions, the natural outcome of perpetuating harmful activities. It's more than just that, though. After all, if it was simply on the following generations to not do what their specific ancestors did, that's their problem. Why do we care about it? We care because we, as Jewish people, bear responsibility for what others in this community do. After all, our prayers are said in the plural. Even on Yom Kippur, in this season of Teshuvah, in our most intense private confessions, we say, Asham nu, Bagad nu. We have trespassed. We have betrayed. If we intend to take our roles seriously as part of this community, as keepers of this covenant, we must take that responsibility on. We're not legally responsible. We didn't do anything. The Torah tells us that. But we have the moral responsibility for what happens. That means that when someone is punished to the third and fourth generation, 
It's not simply God declaring it must happen. It's a profound misstep and error by all of us, our community, Am Israel, Claw Israel, whatever phrase you care to use. We as a people have stood by and let it occur. We have abdicated our moral responsibility to protect and maintain the high standard of our community and all members of it. We failed those who are suffering. And when we allow that to occur, we see the pronouncement here isn't just for a single direct line. We are all parents to future generations of Jewish people, and we are all descendants of past generations. When we simply carry on as before, with no attempt to correct our actions, with no attempt to make things right for the future, the punishment becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and we force our collective children to suffer for it. May we all recognize what is wrong. May we strive to make it right. May we break the cycle of suffering, and we, may we all find ourselves under Sukkot Shalom, a shelter of peace, soon and forever. Shabbat Shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.